This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. Well, my name is Bryony, and I'm really excited this morning to be bringing to you the next part in our current teaching series. And this series is called Reading Mark, Meeting Jesus. And over the last few months as a church, we've been delving into the gospel of Mark. And we've been looking through the eyes of Mark at the person of Jesus. And discovering more of who he is in our understanding and our experience. And that's what we continue this morning. And this morning, I'd like to start with a tale of two seats. I'd like to tell you a tale of two seats. You see, when I was a little girl, we had this seat in our house. And it was, in fact, this very same seat. And this seat was situated in our kitchen. It was in between the boiler and the fridge freezer. And it was nestled in that space. And I have many memories in this seat. And this seat is, in fact, way more comfortable than it appears. I guarantee you. But all of my memories, when I was sat in this seat, I was never actually sat on the seat. I was sat on the knee of the grown-up who was in that seat. It might be my mum or my dad, my nana or my granddad, but for me, it was always comfortable as I was kind of lost in the arms of the grown-up whose seat, whose knee I sat on. And we had some big conversations in this seat. We talked about some big ideas in this seat. We talked, I remember... We talked moment by moment, line by line, scene by scene about everything that had happened in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. We'd seen it on the big screen and it was so good. We had to relive it, my dad and I, moment by moment, line by line. Most of the lines which went over my head because of the age that I was. But that was one of the memories that I have in that seat. I remember talking about genuinely big questions in life in this seat. I remember being sat in this seat on my mum's knee on the day that I learned that my granddad had passed away. And although it was my first experience of grief and of loss, somehow it was still a warm memory. Because in this seat, I was lost in the embrace of a grown-up who loved me. In this seat, I could ask the questions I wanted to ask. I could be honest. I could cry. I could be myself. When I was in this seat, all was well with the world. I guess you could call this the seat of embrace. It was a seat where I was embraced and lost in the arms of one who loved me. You see, I remember another moment in my life, not so long ago, where I sat in another seat, and it was not a nice seat to sit in. And it was just a few years ago, and I was playing in a game of netball. And this moment happened that happens often in a game where the ball was coming towards me. And so all of my focus was on getting the ball. What I did not realize is that there were a number of other players who were doing the exact same thing. All of their focus was on getting the ball. And so the inevitable happened as each of us collided into this space. I'm not sure who got the ball. I'm not really sure what happened because all I remember is a really hard 
thing hit in my head. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was a knee. I don't know if it was an elbow. I don't know if it was the floor because that was what happened next. I found myself on the floor, shocked, disorientated. I, um, I stood up and uh, realized that was not a good idea. And someone kind of caught me as I stumbled because I'd lost my balance. My, my vision was blurred. And um, this bizarre thing started to happen where water streamed from my eyes. And I don't mean I started to cry. I know what it feels like to cry. I don't mean I started to cry. Water just streamed from my eyes like it was some kind of involuntary response to what my poor head had just been through. And I realized it was perhaps a little bit more than the kind of injury that I'd experienced in the past when the umpire came over and said, you need to just sit down for a few minutes. And um, just take a few minutes. And, And as I walked over, I found a seat at the sideline. And and I don't know whose seat it was, but I was grateful for that seat that day. And I sat down in the seat and my body began to process the shock and the pain. And the involuntary liquid was still falling from my eyes. And um, I was trying to work out what had happened. And suddenly this seat felt like a seat I didn't want to sit in. Because I was sat in this seat in pain and everybody else was playing the game. Everybody else was doing the thing that I wanted to do. Everybody else was getting to join in. And here I was, sidelined, on my own, watching everyone else get to do what I wanted to do. If that's the seat of embrace, I guess you could call this the seat of exclusion. I was excluded from the thing that everyone else got to do. The thing that I wanted to be a part of. Now, I didn't spend too long in that seat. I came back on the court probably a little bit too soon because there was still this kind of haze as I continued to play that day. But there's the happy ending to the story. I'm still here today. There was no serious damage. But today, as we continue our series, Reading Mark, Meeting Jesus, the story that we read this morning, I I think we see these two seats at work. The seat of embrace and the seat of of exclusion. And this morning's passage is in Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through to 16. And so if you've got your Bible, why don't you turn with me? We're going to read on the screen. You might want to flick if you're reading on a device this morning. But this story is found in, all, in three of the four Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's a short story. It's a short passage, but it has a profound message. And yet so much detail is omitted. Let's read the story. Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through to 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter into it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. It's a short story. It's a short passage. It has a powerful message, and yet so much detail is omitted. You see, we have these people, and they're on their way to Jesus with these children. You could say they are on their way to the seat of embrace, to encounter Jesus, and um, we don't really fully know why they wanted that that day. 
why they were approaching Jesus, what it was that they wanted in this blessing, what they thought of Jesus, who they understood him to be, we don't really know. Perhaps they understood a glimpse of his true identity, that he was the promised Messiah they'd been waiting for, who was bigger and better than they ever imagined. Or maybe it was some kind of superstitious folk religion where they were approaching the rabbi for some kind of good luck charm, something they could get from him. Maybe they were just curious. Maybe they were interested. Maybe they'd heard the Romans. Maybe they were on their way to Jesus because of what they wanted to get from him. The thing is, we don't really know. But what we do see and what we do discover in reading Mark and meeting Jesus is that whatever the motivation, Jesus' response is embrace. That there's no, there's no record of Jesus checking the motivation on the door and checking whether they come with the right motivation, whether they're worthy to enter into that place of embrace. He's not kind of analyzing each person, sending some off to the sidelines and welcoming some in. Whatever the motivation, Jesus' response is embrace. And I wonder where you sit this morning. I wonder who you are this morning and why you came this morning. Maybe you came to enter into that place of embrace. Maybe you came this morning out of habit. Maybe you came out of duty. Maybe you came with questions this morning, wanting answers. Maybe you came because of someone else. You're here for someone else. Maybe you came this morning and it was the the first time and and kind of came just to rule the God thing out once and for all. Whoever you are and wherever you sit this morning, and whatever your motivation for being here, for being part of this church community, for seeking God, seeking Jesus, the wonderful news is that whatever the motivation, Jesus' response is embrace. His response is to welcome you into this place, to welcome you into this seat where you are loved, where you are accepted, and where you can lose yourself in the arms of the one who loves you with a perfect love, where all can be well. So the people are on their way to the seat of embrace, and then the disciples step in, and they do what we often see the disciples doing, get it wrong. This is what the disciples do. They stand in the way. These people are on the way to the seat of embrace and the the disciples, they stand in the way. It says they hinder them. They try and stop them. Again, we don't really know why the disciples did that. Tried to kind of stop them coming to Jesus and instead kind of usher them off to the sideline, to the seat of exclusion. We don't really know. Was it perhaps that they thought, this, this is grown-up stuff, and so no place for children. Was that what was in their mind? This is the grown-up stuff. It's just not appropriate for children to be here. It's not suitable. They'll get in the way. They'll get, uh, there'll be distractions. I don't know if that's what they thought. And if that was, I can kind of understand. Because I know I've thought that about situations before. This is grown-up stuff. It's not quite the right place for children. And maybe I'm the only one that's ever thought that. Maybe I'm not. I'm pretty sure I'm not because I have evidence this morning that if it's only me and this guy, I'm definitely not the only one that's ever thought that. Let's have a look at the screen. 
Scandals happen all the time. The question is, how do democracies respond to those scandals? Uh, and what will it mean for, uh, for the wider region? I think one of your children has just walked in. I mean, shift, shifting, shifting sands in the region, do you think relations with the North may change? Um, I would be surprised if they do. The, um, pardon me. Pardon me. My apologies. <laughs> What was this going to be for the region? My apologies. North, uh, sorry. Um, North Korea, North, uh, South Korea's policy choices on North Korea have been severely limited in the last six months to a year. There we go. I'm definitely not the only one that's ever thought that. That video gets funnier the more you watch it. So if you need a little pick-me-up this week, you just YouTube that. But you see, what we discover as we look at this passage, is that Jesus was willing to be interrupted. That Jesus was willing for his schedule to be interrupted by those who were on their way to the seat of embrace. The disciples didn't get this, but what we see is that Jesus was willing to be interrupted. And I think that's so profound for us today when sometimes it can feel like time is our most precious commodity. I wonder how willing we are to allow our schedule and our agenda and our priorities to be interrupted by those who are on their way to the seat of embrace. Last week, I was on a train from London to Exeter, and um, I'd spent a day in London working, and I had three hours on a train that evening, and then I had a full next day working in Exeter, and I was looking forward to these three hours because I was going to get a lot done. I had a full battery, good Wi-Fi. I was going to catch up on things that had come up from the day. I was going to get ahead on the stuff for tomorrow. I was going to achieve a lot. Anyone else love that feeling of getting stuff done? I was looking forward to my three hours. And so it was quite a busy train, and they kept on uh, making an announcement that this seat reservation wasn't working, so please make sure you don't leave your bags on the seats because someone wants that seat. And so what happened is I was sat nearest the window, and then a guy came along, and he put his bag down on the chair, and then he disappeared. And not for like 30 seconds to go and adjust his other bag in the big luggage area, for like five minutes... And so I'm feeling increasingly uncomfortable for two reasons. The first is I just can't help saying to myself, who thinks it's okay to leave a bag unattended on public transport in today's day and age? Who thinks that's okay? Surely this guy does. And occasionally I kind of peeked in the bag and that didn't shed any light on it. But um, I also felt really uncomfortable because people were walking past looking for these seats and they kept on announcing on the tannoy, don't leave your bags on the seats because people need to find a seat. And here I am sat next to a bag on a seat and no one owning it. So it looks like I'm ignorant enough and rude enough to leave my bag on this seat. This was not an enjoyable start to my journey. And then he comes back. Phew, we had a bit of a joke about leaving your bag on a seat, although in my mind I thought that's not funny. You just don't do that, especially not when you've been watching The Bodyguard on BBC. You really do not do that. I recommended he watch it and then consider how I felt in that moment. But we began to talk and I said to him, um, oh, we, we got, did the inevitable, what do you do for work? And I said, oh, my husband and I run a Christian charity. And he said, oh, I used to go to church. And I knew in that moment that's statement was loaded. And what happened is we spent the whole three hours talking and I got none of my work done. I got none of my things ticked off my list. 
I didn't achieve anything I set out to achieve. But we, were, we began talking, and he shared with me some of the tragedy that his wife and him had experienced, and how actually the main reason that he disconnected with church was because he felt so hurt about the way that the church had responded to his tragedy. And I was able to say, you know what, I'm, I'm so sorry that that was your experience. I was able to say, you know, church is like God's best idea on the one hand, and yet so risky because it's made up of imperfect humans. I was able to share with him a little bit of my experience of the beauty of church and the wonder of God. And just a little bit, because he was so raw as he, as he shared his story. And I was able to kind of sow the seed. Have you thought about trying a new church in the town where you live? And I thank God that I was able to put my agenda aside and my schedule aside. And I say that because I know that I'm sometimes so focused on my schedule that I could have easily missed that opportunity. Because what that was, was someone who had once sat in the seat of embrace, who because of his hurt and his pain, had chosen to sit in the seat of exclusion. And what I was able to do was maybe just make the way a little bit clearer. Open up the way, maybe for him to take one step back on that journey. To the seat of embrace. You see, we see that Jesus was willing to be interrupted. And I just wonder what conversations are in store for you this week. I just wonder who's going to sit on the train next to you or is going to be serving you when you buy milk in your not quite pajamas, as we heard from Dan. I just wonder who's that colleague that you don't often speak to, but perhaps you're going to interact with them this week. I just wonder what interruptions are on their way for you, to make space for people to make their way to this seat called Embrace. See, we don't, we don't really know what was in the disciples' minds, why they tried to stop them. Were they trying to protect their privileged access? Were they kind of threatened at the idea that, well, oh, hang on, if more people come into here, what does that mean for me? I don't, I, well, I don't want to share this. What if this means I get excluded? If I welcome more into this place? Maybe, I don't know, maybe that was in their mind. The amazing thing about the seat of embrace is that it is limitless. And that's where my metaphor comes undone. Because in this seat... Because you sit in it doesn't mean someone else can't. It is limitless. This place is limitless and it is wide and there is room for all in this place. And so we don't have to try and protect this as some kind of privileged access, but we can be people who make way for others to experience this. Not to kind of protect it in a way that excludes others, but to make way so that others can too sit in that seat. We don't fully know why the disciples kind of got in the way, stopped these people when they're on their way to the seat of embrace and instead kind of ushered them to the sidelines, to this seat called exclusion. Was it perhaps that they had allowed culture, not kingdom, to determine their values? Was it that they had allowed culture, not kingdom, to determine their values? You see, in the days that the Disciples walked the earth and Jesus walked the earth. We understand that children were seen as an inferior people group. That children were seen as inferior alongside women and, uh, women and slaves. 
They were an inferior part of society. They had no rights. They were often seen to be owned by another human being, which we understand, don't we? That's not possible. That's not right, that a human would own another human. But children were looked down upon. They were inferior. They were considered to have not the same value as others. And so is that what is at work in the disciples that day? Are they thinking, no, 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 they're not important enough. They're not worthy enough. They're not the kind of people that Jesus associates with. Was it that they had allowed the thinking of the culture to determine their values rather than the thinking of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven? Because what we understand is that this place of embrace always has been and always will be for the last and the least and the lost. That this place of embrace always has been and always will include the last and the least and the lost. Those who are ostracized, those who are marginalized, those who are broken, those who are poor, those who society say should be sat on the sideline of life. This place was always intended for them. And what we understand as we read Mark and we meet Jesus is that whoever the person, whoever the person, Jesus' response is embrace, whoever the person. You know, I wonder in a hundred years time or 500 years time, what writers and historians and those kind of clever people that say this stuff will say about 2018. What will they look back and say? Because in many ways, children are valued in our society, aren't they? In many ways. And so I wonder what they will say in 500 years time. Will there be people groups that in 500 years' time they look back and say in 2018 they considered this people group inferior within society? They sidelined this kind of person, this kind of thinking. Because when we read Mark and meet Jesus, we discover that whoever the person, Jesus' response is embrace. And I wonder, I wonder for you and for me, if we could pause and reflect for a few moments, is there a prejudice within us to perhaps a people group, perhaps a personality type, perhaps an individual who, if we're honest, our unconscious response is, whoa, 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 hang on. You guys can sit over there. This isn't quite right for you. I wonder what's going on in in the way that we think and we respond and we treat the people we interact with day to day. Because what we discover as we read Mark and meet Jesus is whoever the person, Jesus' response is embrace. And that is so good news this morning. What happens at the end of this passage is it says, and he took the children in his arms. He placed his hands on them and he blessed them. That he took the children in his arms. That he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. I don't know what you think about when you think about the blessing of God. I wonder sometimes in the modern Western church if we have or we are in danger of reducing the blessing of God to material things. I wonder if we're in danger of reducing the blessing of God to those material things that we can kind of touch and possess. 
Here's what I believe. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says, What do you have that you did not receive? I sit and think about that for a while and the conclusion I think you'll come to that I came to as I sat in this chair on my dad's knee as a little girl was, well, nothing. Everything is God's and everything I have is from God. And so God does bless in material ways. In our life group this week, we were celebrating a a couple that's part of our life group. Two weeks ago at Alpha, they asked their Alpha group to pray because they were really um, at a bit of a brick wall in terms of getting a home. And um, within a week, they'd seen a home and had, a, had their offer accepted on a home within a week of, pray, of praying. That's amazing, isn't it? And then the next week, they shared with their alpha group, we have a slight problem now, and that's that one of us only has a temporary contract with our work, and we really need something more concrete and permanent if we're buying our first home. And um, within three days, that temporary contract had been extended. That is amazing, isn't it? You see, God does bless in material ways, but that's not the fullness and the extent of what the blessing of God means. See, Ephraim Radner, a writer, says this, to bless something in the New Testament is to disclose its goodness as from God, as from God's creative hand for God's life-giving purpose. To bless something in the New Testament is to disclose something, to disclose its goodness as from God, as from God's creative hand and for God's life-giving purpose. And to sit in this sea is to hear the voice of creator God, the one who looked at creation and said, it is good, who looks at you and says, it is good. It's to hear the affirmation of creator God. It is to understand and hear and participate in the purpose that we have here on earth, which is to make way for many others to come and experience this seat of embrace. And as we read Mark and meet Jesus, we understand that the greatest blessing and our deepest need is Jesus' embrace. That the greatest blessing and our most deepest need is Jesus' embrace. And elsewhere in Mark, when Jesus puts his hands on people, it's because they have, um, it's to cure and to heal a physical illness that has some kind of vis- visible sign, something outward that is visible. And it's fascinating here that what Jesus does with his hands is he blesses the children. That, and this kind of place... This blessing of the affirmation of creator God who looks at us and says, it is good. What that does is a deep inner healing. What that does, that place of acceptance and that place of love, that place of grace, being lost in the warmth of the arms of the one who loves us, that changes everything on the inside. Just as we draw to a close this morning, I want to invite the band to come and join us. Because there is an invitation this morning to each and every one of us. And it's to sit in the seat of embrace. Now, what do you do when you get an invitation? You respond. Yeah. Yeah. These um, 
these last few weeks, my daughter has been coming home almost every day with an invitation to another eighth birthday party. And so I've been texting mums, thank you, yes, RSVP, RSVP. When you get an invitation, you respond. So how do we respond to this invitation to sit in the seat of embrace? Well, Jesus tells us in this passage... He says, truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. How do we respond to that invitation? Like a little child. And I don't know what connotations come to your mind when you hear that phrase, because sometimes that's not a positive phrase, is it? Stop behaving like a child. You're acting like a child. Sometimes children are selfish. Sometimes children are take, 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 never give, give, give. Anyone else testify this morning? (laughs) Do you have small children in your house? Or big children, perhaps? But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. I believe what Jesus is talking about, the way that we accept this invitation to sit in this seat of embrace, is with an awareness of our vulnerability and our deep need for God. It's with an awareness of our vulnerability and our deep need need for God. It's like, have you ever had one of those days where you've been on your feet a lot and your feet are aching and your body's aching and everything is aching and you get in and you flick, you kick off your shoes and you take off your coat and you put down your bag and it's almost like you're taking off the worries of the day and you're laying down the stress of the day and then you just kind of fall back into your favorite seat. I don't know what your favorite seat in your house is, but it's like you let go. That's how we enter into this seat, into this place, like a child. Letting go of the idea that we've got to have it all together. Taking off the mask and the pretense. Letting down the barriers and the walls, putting aside our fear and our anxiety and our pride and come into this seat with an awareness of our vulnerability and our deep need for God. It's a place where we can let go, where we can ask those questions, where we can really be who we are, where we can feel safe in that place. writer Thomas Merton said letting go is not in anyone's program for happiness and yet all mature spirituality in one sense or another is about letting go and unlearning about letting go of the idea that I've got to have it all together and if I just work a bit harder tomorrow then I will sort this thing I will fix this thing because if it's going to happen it relies on me it depends on me it's letting go of that idea Letting go of the pretense that we build up. Letting go of the walls. Letting go of the hurt, of the pain. And just falling back into that place of embrace. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.